Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Jack Inslee is all about Linsanity. Not the actual Linsanity, but the documentary. Linsanity. Uh, since the world got turned upside down uh, and sports went away for a long time, Jack and I have been watching sports documentaries. We found that basketball documentaries make us feel the least bad. Um, the bubble made us feel uh, the least bad, so we're sticking with basketball, and we decided to watch Linsanity. And I'll tell you this, we technically watched this movie. Uh, like I said before, the world has gone insane, and that's why we now have a Patreon account. Please consider donating at you, me, them, everybody. Dot com. Uh, we used to do the show live. Uh, we had no idea if and when that will ever return. And so, so many wonderful people came to those shows and would say things like, Oh, it was great. Can I buy you a beer? And I would always say, No, thank you. Well, now I'm saying, Yes, please. So consider donating what you would buy us at a show uh, for a beer. You know, five, six dollars, depending on where you live. Two dollars if it's uh, a cool dive bar. Uh, $38 if you're seeing the show in Washington, D.C. I don't know where you would see the show. Linsanity, it happened. Here's the show. This one was your pick. Sure was. Do you stand by this pick? Uh, what do you mean by that? It was not a good movie. Are you glad you watched this movie? Yes. Why? I lived through Linsanity. Um, it was a very special time in my life for a number of reasons, and... All the problems with this film aside, there was some joy to be had in revisiting the glorious little spark of joy we experienced as Knicks fans during that time. Was this the highlight of the last 20 years of Knicks basketball? Yeah. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> you can end the episode right there. <laughs> so you're saying... A strike or a, a shortened season featuring uh, a former bench player becoming a starter and going on a six-game hot streak against five of six losing teams is the reason why the Knicks are the in a premier market? No, I'm not saying exactly that. It's just the most fun we've had um, as fans. Um you know, the Knicks had made the playoffs. We actually made it to the second round after mm -hmm. Linsanity. Another fun part of this for me, and we don't have to go too much in it because it's boring and just about my life, but um, at that time, I started dating somebody that I had a big crush on, and I think the first... She was a Knicks fan. This is in New York. We watched the first... Happened to watch this first game together where he's subbed in and goes nuts. Um, so that kind of became like, I, I had this association with it. And then, um, in the fall, I guess when Jeremy Lin ends up signing with the Rockets, coincidentally, mm -hmm. that's when our relationship ended. <laughs> so I don't know if you're still in touch with this person, but based on Linsanity, Jeremy Lin's career and your life, I'm assuming it's for the best that you're not with this person. Yeah. We'll always have Linsanity though, you know? God. Okay, so I kind of remember Linsanity, but um, I didn't care because I was a Bulls fan, and I don't like the Knicks. I don't hate the Knicks. I just don't care. So when this happened, it, I just remembered it as like, oh, this is what is on David Letterman and John Stewart, and that's like the reference point. This mm -hmm. that's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And then it seemed to like stay for way too long based on what it actually was. And looking back, oh, I was right. It, it wasn't a thing. Like it, this shouldn't have been a big deal. Well, there's a really ripe conversation about the cultural impact of an Asian American excelling in the way he did. It was a big deal in New York. It was a big deal for Asian American friends of mine and just residents of New York City. It was just a big, it was a big deal. And I think this this film as a, <laughs> is about as off the mark as you could possibly get in covering this. Oh, this um, is the second worst film we watched. What would the worst one be? The worst one was the Sosa McGuire doc. Oh, true, 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 true. I mean, I knew we were in trouble when I saw the font of the film, and there is a cross in the T. (laughs) I knew we were were in trouble. Chronologically? Please. Okay, do you want to start or should I? Because I have notes. I think you should start. Okay, Jeremy Lin's dream, which is made clear at the start of this film, is he wants to go from a bench player to a starter to an NBA champion. He has done that. He sure has. Mission accomplished. He was a bench player for the Warriors. He became a starter for the Knicks. He got a really good contract with the Rockets. And he became an NBA champion with the Toronto Raptors. Good for him. Why wasn't this movie made after that? Yeah, well... It's made in 2013. Yes, it is. Uh, my next note is his dad has one of the ugliest shots I've ever seen, but I wonder if he's any good. Hey, look, he was modeling it after Kareem Skyhook, you know? Kareem was very tall. That's right. <laughs> Jeremy Lin's dad's, what, 5'8", five, 5'6"? Five, they say it in mm-hmm. the doc. Yeah, yeah. Five, five, like six, he's an average five, height. Yeah, uh-huh. he's, that's a horribly ugly shot on anyone of a certain height. He is of that certain height. That's right. Um, this is an aside, but it's really relevant to this film. There's so much Jesus-y stuff in this because Jeremy Lin's a Christian and we, you, we need to know that based on just the font alone. Are there any, this is a serious question. Are there any docs about atheists, athletes, or satanic athletes? Not that I know of, but I know what, I know what my homework is after this episode. Mm-hmm. If there's one, we need to find it. And there it sure like was a lot of a God real, in here. It real Satanist or a real atheist. It can't be like, a wrestler. like it can't be a doc about the undertaker who's actually like a devout christian you know what i mean right right i mean i am i, I had some questions about the, the the heavy doses of christianity um you know it is not a popular religion in taiwan um it accounts for four percent of the population so i mean it's interesting it's unexpected and it's i, I mean with jeremy lynn any interview you listen to in him or any any anything you see from him it's it's heavy it's a big part of his life and we get a nice dose of it in this film i i, oh, I wrote down so that much it. it was three minutes into the film is the first time god gets brought into the equation and yeah uh okay so the first time i'm like super uncomfortable about this is when mitch stevens comes on the screen he's the columnist for maxpreps.com yeah now this is something that has nothing to do with jeremy lynn but i get the heebie-jeebies Whenever there's like a high school reporter and it's not just like a local guy reporting on the local, the, the members of the community, but like it is, it is Mitch Stevens' job. It's all the people that work at maxpreps.com job to write about high school athletes writ large, like they are professional athletes and, or just I adults. Yeah. They're not adults. And I understand why I get it. But for 
But for some reason, I'm like, can't you just make this like a trade publication type of thing where like only college coaches get it or like maybe some NBA well, coaches? You know get what? It? it historically was. And, you know, the Internet gives access to all. And I remember my younger brother is a fanatic, a basketball fanatic, and he had been following some of these publications when they were still, I would say, fringe trade publications. And I think over time, the interest and the demand for it increased. And yeah, now we find ourselves in that weird, uncomfortable position. And I understand there's no turning back, especially considering arguably the greatest basketball player of all time was the biggest high school uh, phenom, maybe in the history of basketball, and actually delivered. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm clearly talking about J.R. Smith. We're getting to that later. Um, Max, M- Mitch leads us to the high school state basketball championship. All of a sudden, incredibly dramatic score without really setting the scene of why we should care. That's right. I would say the greatest basketball film of all time is Hoop Dreams. That's about high school players. You could make an amazing high school film. This is not that. Mm-mm. Um. Also, did you notice how many people were at the state high school championship game in California? No, I didn't. Not many. I mean, it's the suburbs, man. Like, it's bad, man. Like, the, like a prep school game in the suburbs of Chicago would draw more than this. It's almost not even worth. Like, the film is just bad. <laughs> it's just a bad film. The story of Linsanity continues to be interesting and worth talking about. This film was just bad, man. Okay, well, the reason why I'm bringing that up, the the lack of a crowd there, is sort of about the um, the blip on the radar that was Jeremy Lin. Um, he was not drafted. Uh, the only reason why the Warriors ever even considered him is because he knew the owner's kid from high school. Mm-hmm. Because he's from Palo Alto. So yep. We, Privilege. We up, they early, pretty much early on in the film, right around that, we're noticing, like, was Jeremy Lin not scouted because he's Asian? I would like to posit maybe he wasn't scouted because he played in a super small market that even if at the state championship, like no one's there. It is certainly not my place to make any definitive, you know, have a definitive take on this. I, I don't have either the experience of being a, a basketball player, be a black American, see an Asian American, but it is definitely framed in this film. And Jeremy Lin does often frame it as he's been slighted against because of mm-hmm. his, background and i agree with you i mean it's not that he was in one of these like lower marion prep and in pennsylvania like a a school that produces professional athletes and was looked over because he's asian yeah he's in the suburbs man like that generally happens to people in the suburbs in these programs that just don't produce pros Mm -hmm. he leaves the suburbs for harvard not another this is not a bad thing to do. It's not a bad thing to go to Harvard on a basketball. Everything, maybe everything. Also, a guard without any kind of out of the gym athleticism or any measurable or quantified. This is what schools look for, as evidenced in the last film we watched. You know, um, height will get you attention, and you you will be discovered. And I think his perceived slight of like man i wasn't offered scholarships i wasn't scouted you know your sub what was he six foot six one at that point six two mm-hmm. you know again no out of this world athleticism it makes sense it makes total Just sense harvard did you notice what he scored on his sats you get a perfect math score he did and then they try to frame it as like this guy's an idiot because he didn't know the certain things on the entry level exam oh, to the please. placement yeah 
So they're trying to have it both ways almost at every turn. That's right. It drives me insane. The whole entire time. This is my version of Linsanity. Why do we care? Yeah, this chip he has on his shoulder, basically from this point all the way through the story where he's, I can't believe I'm on the bench and not playing. Dude, I mean, welcome to the NBA. You are a undrafted rookie. What delusion do you have that you're supposed to be getting all this court time and this chance to like fulfill your prophecy? That being said, you kind of need that insane chimp on your shoulder to even consider making it as a professional athlete. That attitude is what got him to where he ended up, for sure. Exactly. So you can't really fault him for the insanity. No, it just makes a shitty movie. <laughs> it's not a good... <laughs> you don't really care, you know? It's like... It's almost the less you know with Jeremy Lin, the easier it is to root for him during that insanity. I mean, had I watched, like, the first half of this doc before he gets a minute with the Knicks, you know, it's... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know how that would have changed things, um, but it was the out of nowhere thing that made it so fun. Sure. So the out of nowhere thing is sort of why it's the only reason this exists, right? Because he wasn't mm-hmm. scouted or whatever. But then the fact that he's out of nowhere and then doesn't really do anything after it, really. That's not entirely fair. Okay. Prove me wrong. He puts up you know, all the way a few years later, he, he, he starts almost 35 games for the Nets. He's scoring 15 points, five assists a game. He had a, a modest NBA career. He doesn't. Oh, sure. I don't think there's anything like, wrong with saying he had a. Yeah, he was a very OK player. Yeah, he had a pretty average and, and above average. I'm sorry. He had an above average NBA career. Great. So, I mean, like, if not, if not say he falls off a cliff after the insanity, you know, so that did. would actually be a way more interesting story. Sure, it would have been, but the the result, the it, it, he just kind of like any player that has a hot streak. I mean, like he cooled off and kind of leveled out into what he is, which is a average above average point guard, backup point guard, like eighth guy off the bench. No, uh, yeah. For yeah. sure. I mean, he exactly. started all 82 games for the Rockets the following year. He had and you know, that's it. Numbers. And he never did that again. Right. He hasn't had a truly healthy season since 16. Right. He's been hurt a lot. Uh, no, I mean, you know, next two years he played. No, no, that's not, true. that's not true. He had a full season in 18, 19, but he got mm-hmm. traded. But his numbers start tapering off. Um, you know, he, he, he becomes more of a backup than a starter, mm-hmm. you know. But, which is fine. There's, which no, is there's fine. no shame in this at all. No shame in it whatsoever. It was the but, cultural phenomenon around it that, of course, made it newsworthy at all. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody, I know that nobody in New York or otherwise would care if a regular NBA player came off the bench, was undrafted, and scored 30 points a few times in a row. Nobody would care. It yeah. was the fact that he was Asian American, and it was surprising. It was as surprising it, as it could be. Do you think it was because it was a shortened season that it was more exciting? That, no. And the NBA was looking for something to be like, hey, this is a positive thing. No, because okay. I, 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 in real time, Jeremy Lin was like a, a, you know, truly end of the bench player. And ever since his, you know, eligibility in the draft, I remember the guy and I remember being like, oh, yeah, the Asian American dude from Harvard. Like, it, no one really, he, he was, there was interest in him. He was a curiosity mm-hmm. from the jump. And everyone was like, I wonder if this guy can ball. 
And all of that is what made this exciting, I think. When we signed him, I know Knicks fans were like, wow, that's a random one. I wonder if he ever gets a minute. And just everything that led up to it, which the film just really kind of, uh, you can make it so much more interesting and dramatic because it was. It was really. Yeah, there's not a lot of there there in this film. No, man, which sucks because my memory of it is so good. Um, it was thrilling, man. It really, really was. And now, when, when I say when people think of Linsanity, are they are we supposed to think of his entire season with the Knicks or just that initial winning streak? I think that winning streak, because if, if you really look at the game log that year, um, there's one game where he, he drops off and scores 10. But basically from uh, February 4th to the 20th, we're looking at a two week period mm-hmm. to the 22nd, really, where the guys just like can't miss. It's nuts. Okay, you know, 25, but- 28, 23, 38, 20, 27. And that 38 point game that we do get to see in the film. And I did like the footage of that. It was nice to revisit the Kobe thing. Um, It was amazing. Guy scores 38 points against Kobe who disses him before the game. Um, As he should have. Of course, Kobe should have. (laughs) He's like, why would I be following a 12th man on the New York Knicks? No, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Okay. So, they really only that's the only competitive team that they faced during that seven game Linsanity streak. Um, you have you're uh over as you're forgetting how bad the Knicks were. Yeah, they were under 500 when this started, by the end of it, they were at 500. Yeah, and and how bad the Knicks were before this. But the, okay, the Four team years. they lost also had a losing record. The Linsanity ends in a loss against the Hornets. It does. Dropping them below 500 again. <laughs> yes. Okay, so like this is the thing. It's cool that this happened, don't get me wrong, but this is really no different than any sport when a new guy gets in and there's not really a lot of scouting on him and he's able to do a bunch of stuff because no one knows the spots yet. And then like two weeks later, it's over because they know the pitches. Correct. They know where they're going to shoot. They're, they know where they're going to pass. Like, on the it's sports there. level, it's not a significant story. It no, is a it's purely not. cultural story that don't is- disagree then don't disagree then make give me 40 minutes about why this matters to the new york crowd give me 40 minutes about how it was unlikely that this like suburban palo alto kid that like loved basketball and whose father got into it once moving to the u.s and t- tell me that story combine those two and then the last 10 minutes of like what the hell happened after? Why is he times yeah. 100? And I do think we, I think this is an interesting enough story culturally that we will get a good doc on it. This was clearly rushed and, you know, like any agent and, and team around an athlete or an entertainer, you, you want to cash out. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, the guy's name was, was money at a certain point and like you want to do this to cash out on it. It was a flop. I mean, this was not like a widely talked about documentary. It's not even being repurposed on ESPN for good reason, right? It's like not good enough, but there will be. Um, I know the times did a really good long form piece about cultural identity as Asian Americans and in New York specifically and what Linsanity meant like this. This is a ripe topic, I think, and always will be. Um, We never, you know, there, again, this is like objectivity in sports stocks, but I want to know about his black scent. You oh, know, yeah. like 
That's interesting. Where did he have that insane hair? Was that a was that that's a little recent thing, right? So yeah, later I think around the time he's on the Nets, he started really doing some wacky hairstyles. He had a Sonic the Hedgehog looking ass haircut. Yeah. Um, and I look a lot of them, but a lot of them also looks like he could be a roadie for the band Corn. You know what I mean? Uh huh. He had dreads and he braid. Had cornrows. And got into a public spat with Kenyon Martin, a former Nick and Net who basically called him out for cultural appropriation yeah. for having dreads. Jeremy Lin's response was, was, you know, in line with his faith and very, you know, whatever. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he uh, calls out Kenyon Martin essentially in a passive aggressive way for having Chinese tattoos. I'm, rem- I'm thinking about it when um, the, I'm thinking the Mohawk more. The dreads were, were more notably like, a, Ooh, is yeah. that, cool like that's not cool and then he's like well a lot of nba players black athletes have chinese tattoos and it's like um hmm yeah that's ripe for conversation absolutely Um, and he i mean of course the guys faced racism and like the taunts he talks about in high school and the ridiculous headlines on the new york post or punchlines on news you know chink in the armor and fortune cookie stuff like that stuff was was real and was definitely the water cooler conversation of that month in New York. Everybody was talking about that. The excitement on the basketball court and the problems of the cultural stuff off the basketball court. Now, when you were living in Brooklyn and he became a Brooklyn net, do you, was there like a sort of resurgence before he got hurt or was it just, so the Knicks fan perspective on this one's interesting because he captures our hearts Mm -hmm. and is the most exciting thing even more exciting, arguably, than Mello, who was our big fish. Whoa, I didn't realize that. For a lot of fans, because Mello wasn't really win. I mean, we got him, but we emptied our entire, we depleted our assets for Mello. And Mello forced his way here, could have signed as a free agent, demanded a trade, and thus we lost all of our assets, including Danilo Gallinari, who was one a rare kid we drafted that was good, that we liked. So... Lynn felt like this really homegrown feel good thing. And I like off- how Lynn was a feel good homegrown thing, even though he was not drafted by you. And he was like a last minute addition only because somebody got hurt. But he was out. He felt like ours because <laughs> it's like, you know, th- okay. these are the circumstances under which he shows that he's talented enough to actually run an offense. He also, as he notes in the film, his style of play fit very well with Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni is famous for making point guards better than other coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, any point guard that's played under D'Antoni has inflated stats. Look back and, you know, he made Steve Nash with Steve Nash's. He's transformed James Harden into what James Harden has become. This is what D'Antoni does. He runs a high octane offense. So all of that made us excited. Like, okay, maybe this is the future. Maybe we have like a bootleg Steve Nash that we're going to keep around. and And it becomes this kind of LOL Knicks thing, which is shorthand for the Knicks just continuing to fuck up when we don't resign him. And there are grumblings on the back page of the post like, oh, Mello forced him out. Mello was it was Mello's team. He didn't like all the attention Jeremy Lin's getting, which is bullshit and not true. Um, The real story is that Daryl Morey framed the contract offer to Jeremy Lin in what's known as a poison pill contract. Mm -hmm. So the first two years of the contract are five million piece, which is reasonable. And then it balloons to over 10 million a year in the final two years, which because of our salary cap and the way it was set up was, it was designed to 
basically checkmate us into not being able to match that. So it wasn't really like the Knicks gave up on him, which is what sports media liked to say. Like, oh, the Knicks finally had something good and they just, typical Knicks, let it go away. You know, Daryl Morey wrestled it away from us. Okay. Um, And then it turns out Jeremy Lin's not that great. Yeah. <laughs> so to answer your original question, yeah, it's kind of indifferent after that. You see him in Houston, you're like, okay. And maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. And the Knicks go on to make the playoffs for the first time in God knows how long the next year without him. So it was short memory, quickly forgotten, just okay. stopped mattering. Got it. Okay. So this is another thing. It's like, it reminds me of the doc we watched about the Indian uh, basketball player. He didn't ever make it to the NBA, but it's like, maybe we're, maybe the hopes and dreams of this entire community were just put upon the wrong shoulders because like, if anything, everything that happened after that one hot streak has proven that like, this was not a marquee player. There aren't that many marquee players. So if you're going to attach an entire culture to one person, maybe make sure that they're a marquee player. I mean, I don't know. Or like he did enough and it has given enough Asian Americans in the country hope that like they could have at least a moderate to semi-successful NBA career. All right. Jeremy Lin now plays for the Beijing Ducks. Correct. The team, of course, that Stefan Marbury. He still seems, and and it seems like Lin is still trying to get in the NBA, back in the NBA. Yeah, he won't. He did pretty well last season, his only season with the Ducks. He did. So, I wouldn't be shocked. You never know. Yeah, but he'll end up on the end of some bench as, you know, the guy couldn't get minutes for the Raptors. You know, he got a ring but didn't play. Yeah, but the Raptors were very, very good and not injury-plagued. And <laughs> there will be teams right. inevitably that are injury-plagued. And I don't know. If, if anything, it'd be kind of a nice footnote of John Wall and Jeremy Lin end up on the bench for the Wizards together. Sure. This manufactured rivalry that they try to make us care about. Yeah, this was a really not much here, man. Oh, we didn't even talk about how it ends. Ugh. He literally plays basketball on water. (laughs) Do you not remember this? Yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, like (laughs) Jesus. Who played basketball on water. Now, Jim Dolan, owner of the Knicks, is a famously religious guy and has made basketball decisions based on faith. Alan Houston, yes, there is a religion element to the Knicks and the way that this all works. James Dolan found religion, became sober. So there's a sobriety thing with him and a religion thing with him. And if you are either of those two things, you're in his good graces. Alan Houston got an enormous contract and basically a golden ticket to a career with MSG for his life because he's a religious guy and cozied up to Dolan in that way. So that was interesting for me to think about in seeing how religious Jeremy Lin is in this and how that must have just been great for for Dolan at the time as well. (laughs) You guys suck. Right? (laughs) You suck so hard. So hard. Oh, man. Yeah, there's... This is... uh, It's such an interesting story. I would love to know what he thinks about how the NBA's expansion to China and the, the Rockets dude speaking out and all this stuff. Like, 
what he actually thinks about that, I don't think we'll ever hear it. You know, he's not an idiot, Jeremy Lin. But there's a I, lot I, of reasons to do this documentary after he's retired rather than like after his second season. I wouldn't be surprised if in the not so distant future, this isn't really available to stream any longer. Why? Because it's not good. <laughs> but there's a lot of things that are horrible that are like readily but, but somebody's going to want to redo this movie. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I think, think I feel like the farther we get from it, the less people care. You might be right. And this is definitely the, the textbook, like, cocky self-centered new yorker thing where like we think that everything that happens in new york is so significant and matters when you zoom out and it's like he's not even like the third most interesting person on that season's knicks that's another fun thing right isn't it amazing seeing jr smith oh man i want that doc as a nick landry fields as i want a, a doc on J- on jr smith's record setting like three point attempts game for the knicks Oh, there are, look, Jeremy. I mean, J.R. Smith. There are some legendary moments as a New York Nick. Uh, as, a New, as, a, as a person, as a human being, as a human being. Now that's a fun doc. That's a good hang. Yeah. Um, Do you think, I want Jeremy Smith to end up doing both playing with LeBron until LeBron is done, and then being on TNT maybe at the same time. Oh man, I don't know if he could be. He'd have to be on from like, the bench. He'll do it from the bench. From the bench. <laughs> Sure, why not? Um, Landry Fields is is the one other thing I want to bring up in here. He's he's a, a, a fringe NBA player who had a short career. Uh, went to Stanford. Um, was the couch that Jeremy Lin slept on? Right. This is the, their teammate buddies and stuff. Landry Fields seemed like a really good support system for Jeremy oh, Lin. Yeah. And you see, he's the first person off the bench celebrating with Jeremy Lin. Mm-hmm. Incredibly supportive. He's an interesting dude. He's gone on to become, he's now the assistant GM of the Hawks. Um, and when was did he get that job? just recently. Uh, oh, so maybe he goes back last week. Landry Fields. Maybe he goes back to Atlanta. Landry Fields is 32 years old. Damn. Um, yeah, he's a very bright guy. And he was before that, um, the GM of a G league team. Wow. It's as cool quick a path into this kind of work as I've ever seen from an NBA athlete. Mm. And it's interesting. Um, why don't we hear from like present day Landry Fields in this Jeremy Lin? Yeah. I'm sure he's got some great perspective. Yeah. Instead, yeah. we just hear it's a lot from Jeremy Lin's brother who's like, yeah, it was crazy. My brother was famous. And, you're and like, you okay. also hear uh, from angryasianman.com. That was the, <laughs> yeah. sure that's the name of the site. That's the name of yeah, the site. You do. And, this was a cultural phenomenon. They literally have a clip of Bill Simmons interviewing the president of the United States. And this comes up. There was no one else that was willing to talk. Pablo Torre's in there, but not for very long. He's great. He's great. But there, there's no shortage of like, people have probably written like doctoral theses on Lynn Sanity. Get somebody like that. That's why I think there's still a good film to be made here. Yeah. Oh, God, this was not it, though. And it's long, man. What was it, like an hour 40 or something? This is it this stretches it out. This is bad in every possible way. I'm really well, sorry to put you through this. Oh, no, I'm not. As long as you're okay with me, like, insulting your team for, like, an hour at a time, I don't care. Oh, please. I'm a nigga. I'm... Yeah, bring it. 
What do we I'm, have, man? I'm kind of surprised there aren't more docs about like the baby bulls or the Derrick Rose bulls or hell, the Jimmy Butler bulls. Like, there's a, but there's none, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> like, no, it's totally fine. It's not good enough for a doc. I'm yeah. just thinking about J.R. Smith now. I'm so ready for that. What a life. What a life. The first player to take his jersey off and go shirtless on the court as the Lakers close out their championship series against the um, Miami Heat. First Amazing. player to touch the ball, too. Or, sorry, not touch the ball, touch the uh, trophy. That's right. He was on Instagram Live, I think, within 15 minutes of the buzzer God, going sorry. off. That's so great. Good for him. Good for him. That's right. I'm just looking up his stats. What a cool Oh, dude. I he didn't. His stats in the NBA Finals this year? No, I don't think he even did he even play. No, he had like spot minutes at best. J.R. Smith played- has had some very now. J.R. Smith also took a year off, or at least half a year during the lockout, and played um, in China. Hell yeah! Oh yeah, I do know that. <laughs> yeah, it actually was not the. It was the 2011-2012 season that he. Yeah, he he came to us late from China, and and that. I mean, man, the line from Stefan Marbury to J.R. Smith to Jeremy Lin. There's <laughs> Come on. That's it. Yeah. There's your doc. Minutes played, 7.5. 10 games, 7.5 minutes played. He's Look, he, he put up 18 minutes a game for us over a full season. I mean, he's had some good years, J.R. Smith. Oh, yeah. I'm not knocking him at all. Fascinating, so, fascinating. Sorry, he played, yeah, he played 75 total minutes in the NBA playoffs. That's amazing. And he, got he, comes, he, he comes across with all the tattoos and, and the behavior is kind of this like, this almost like rapper persona and he loves to kind of like posture and be, he's a very suburban dude, J.R. Smith. Upper, oh, upper middle class suburbs. Um, I'm, I'm here for the J.R. Smith doc. That's oh, so great. It's so great. Oh, oh, Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, Jeremy Lin, he exists. There you go. That's the that's yep. It happened. 